Well, happy Father's Day, dads. I hope you're having a great one, and I hope you have a great day today. You know, dads, we kind of fall, I'm going to be stereotypical here, but I think that a lot of times we dads fall into certain categories. We're kind of like the Mr. Fix-its at home, right? Um, Mom or the kids kind of expect us to be able to do some things. And for example, if something isn't working, like a hairdryer or an Xbox or a computer, we end up having, Ma, Dad, Dad, come on. We, we, we need to get something new. Everything's broken now, and we don't know what to do with it. And then all of a sudden, you start checking things out, and you find out that the power has been disconnected somehow. And you go over and you plug in, and there's power. And for a minute, just for a minute, they worship the ground you walk on because everything is now back to normal, right? Can I get an amen on that? You see, everything was fine before, and everything looked like it was fine, but there was no power. And the reality is that so many of the things that we deal with in life are worthless without the source of power flowing through it. And the reality is that that applies to our faith as well. How many of us have felt like things are just not right with us? Nothing wrong. We're just not connected to power when it comes to our faith. There are a lot of churches all across America who are doing a lot of good things, but those things, for some reason, lack power. There's a difference between doing good things and doing powerful things. There's a difference between living a good life and living a life that is constantly being renewed and transformed and bearing the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. There's a difference between living a self-sufficient life and one of daily dependence on someone who is greater than us. And the difference is whether or not we are connected to our power source And that power source is the Holy Spirit. Francis Chan, about 10 years ago, wrote a book entitled Forgotten God, Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. And we're picking up off of that in order to focus on this series of sermons because in it, he points out how we have either chosen to avoid the Holy Spirit in our lives altogether or we've overemphasized certain aspects about him and sometimes those, that overemphasis doesn't honor the Lord. You mention the Holy Spirit to people, and many people end up getting very defensive and reacting very, very strongly. While others want to get on a soapbox and advocate something that they feel is very, very important to them, but may not be important to God. So over the next three weeks, We want to look at this part of the Godhead that we don't talk about much. And sometimes we are guilty of blaming too much on, but who is always in perfect harmony with the Father and the Son. Because He's so, so much more than we think or imagine. He is our only source of power, and He is the only one who transforms us. I think it goes without saying that we live in a constantly changing world. 
We get new computers today and they're already obsolete because something new is coming out within two or three years at the very most. And right now there has been the development of artificial intelligence where scientists are now beginning to develop computers that not only think and react to you, but also have, they're, they're also saying that they're going to be able to have emotions. And some people have gone so far as to say that one of these days you'll be able to find one or two robots that you feel that you're compatible to, and you won't have to have any human interaction at all. Now, on the surface, that sounds appealing, doesn't it? Because we are not going to have to deal with stuff. Recent tragedies like the one in Virginia Beach where 12 people were senselessly killed make us wonder if we really want to get close to people at all. And if conflict seems to be an ongoing part of your life in your home and at work or elsewhere, you may find yourself wondering if you want to be around people at all too. But the reality is, that God created us for community. He created us for community, not only with Him, but also with one another. We were never, ever, ever meant to live in isolation. And even though artificial intelligence is going to come in handy one of these days, when you want to clean your house like a Roomba or something like that, or take on projects and, and, and turn a computer loose to be able to help you on some things, it's never ever going to be able to replace the community that we were all created for. You see, one of the reasons that Jesus came was to show us that we could have a relationship with God. And when Jesus walked this earth, he was so attractive to people that people flocked to him. And what made it so amazing was that he enjoyed being with those people. It wasn't like he was looking at them and saying, Oh yeah, you're one of those, aren't you? People loved him and he loved them. But as he approached death, he spoke to his disciples as they were walking over to the Mount of Olives and to Gethsemane. And he talked to them about his impending death and he promised that they would not be left alone when, they, when he left. And in John chapter 14, verses 16 through 18, we read these words. He says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. There are three things that I want us to see in this passage of Scripture. And the first is that the Holy Spirit is talked about as being an advocate. And this is an official name or an official title that is given to him. It's a proper, it's, it's someone who comes alongside, who comforts, who leads, who is a friend, who never forsakes us. And it's the same term that was used of a slave who in a wealthy household was assigned to a child so that they would be their trainer. 
And they were called paracletes. And they walked alongside the child and they helped him develop and they educated him and they, they, they invested in him. They were also in charge of their discipline and their development so that they would become productive members of society. And he was always by the child's side, teaching, correcting, protecting, encouraging, walking with. And he was representing everything that the father of that child wanted him to get and wanted him to be absorbed by. And he stood with the child through tough times and comforted them in discouraging times. He was a surrogate father to them. And that term is used of the Holy Spirit. And next week we're going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. But the second thing that I want us to be able to see is that the Holy Spirit is referred to here as a person. So often, because we don't understand the Holy Spirit and what it is that He does, we describe the Holy Spirit as a a power or an entity, something that is distant, something that is impersonal. And when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. Well, the Holy Spirit, it's with us. But in John chapter 14, verse, uh, in, in John chapter 14, the passage that we just read, Jesus refers to him as him. He gives him a personal pronoun. And Jesus goes on to refer to him as he, in John 15, verse 26, when he says, that the help, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So here's the third thing. The Holy Spirit is also another helper. And the term that's used for another in the original language, there are two, there are two terms that refer to that. The first term is one that's uh, similar, okay? It's not, it's, it's, and the other one is exactly like the other. I have twin boys, and those of you who have met them know that they look alike, a lot alike. I mean, during college, they switched places in class, had fun during their senior year. They knew they wouldn't get get in trouble and all that kind of stuff and they just had a lot of fun with that and tried to figure out who was going to figure who's who going to figure out who they were um nate uh one of the one of the our twins was also in the marines and uh he had matt come with him to the base <laughs> and it freaked out all the other soldiers because they thought that they were talking to Nate, and it turns out that they were talking to Matt. And uh, uh, one, there was one sergeant that actually started chewing him out because Matt had a beard, and in the Marines you don't do that, okay? And he started chewing him out, and Nate showed up, and uh, they had a laugh at him. But you spend any time with these guys that look so much alike, you find out that they're totally different. They have distinctive personalities. So they're not the same. And you may not be able to tell at first glance, 
but if you spend time with them, you find out that they're very, very different. On the other hand, the term that is used for the Holy Spirit here, another helper, is used to describe someone who is exactly like Jesus. You see, he's part of the triune God that we worship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And even though their roles may differ, even though their functions may differ in some ways, they act alike, they think alike, they work exactly alike, and they work in perfect unity, and and they are one and the same. And even though Jesus is facing death and eventual ascension into heaven, he's telling his followers, you are not going to miss me. Because the Holy Spirit is going to be with you. Because He's just like me. As a matter of fact, He is me. And that's such a powerful lesson for us to learn. When Jesus says, I will be with you always to the very end of the earth, He's basically saying, through my Spirit, I'm going to be with you. Now the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit in many terms to try to describe Him, just like He describes God as Father and and, and Jesus as, as, as our companion and different things like that. The Bible refers to the Holy Spirit in many different terms, but two of them that are very, very common are the words wind and fire. In the Old Testament, wind had to do with the Spirit of God, the Ruach, which meant the the breath of God. And then there was pneuma, which, or the Holy, and, and, and in the Greek, but then later on, tongues of fire came down, as we just heard in the song. Wind fills everything and fire purifies. And when Jesus was baptized by John, John saw the Spirit descend on, on the Lord like a dove as the Father affirmed Jesus' deity. And through His Spirit, God wants to fill us completely with Himself. And purify us so that we will be conformed more to his image and who it is that he knows that we can be if we let him lead us. And a lot of times we still struggle about the Holy Spirit. We struggle with understanding how it is that he is a person. I found this helpful as I was uh, absorbing some things that Kyle Eidelman was saying. And I want to give you a couple of examples that he shared that may give us an indication of just how, how, how personal, how much of a person the Holy Spirit is. You see, we can lie to the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 5, a lot of people were growing, the church was growing like crazy, and people's needs increased, and people like Barnabas in Acts chapter 4 sold property and donated all the proceeds to the church. And it was, it was an exciting time for everyone as needs were met and as generosity flowed and as people saw Jesus being reflected in the lives of others. But there was one couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira who also sold a piece of property. But they kept part of the money for the, for, uh, from the sale for themselves. But there's nothing wrong with that. Please understand me when I say that. There was nothing wrong for them to keep part of the money. But what they did was they went to the apostles and they said, hey, this is all the money that we have gotten from the sale. 
And so we're giving it to the church. They wanted to appear more generous than they actually were. And Peter looked at them in verses 3 and 4. He said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourselves some of the money that you received for yourselves? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What, what made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied. You have lied. No, you have not lied just to human beings, but to God. Folks, don't miss this. Peter is connecting the Holy Spirit and God as being the same person. They are one and the same. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. He is God Himself. And just as we can lie to God, we lie to the Holy Spirit a lot of times. And we may think, oh, I've never done anything like what Ananias and Sapphira did. But we have probably lied to Him. We can't lie to things. Only people. I was in a situation just recently where I walked in and somebody was talking about the fact that they felt like somebody had lied to them and they were not happy. Lying to the Holy Spirit has serious consequences. And that should make us think twice because we can easily, we can so easily as Christians, as believers, as churchgoers, appear far more spiritual than we really are. And that is deeply offensive to the Holy Spirit. You see, we can come to church, but we can fight like crazy at home, can't we? Or we can take communion, declaring unity with all believers. And yet at the same time, harbor a tremendous amount of bitterness towards somebody who's sitting in the same room with us and refusing to forgive them. Or maybe we'll post it that we'll pray for somebody, but we never really do. Or we act like we're generous and sacrificial and say that we love our church, but never really give or sacrifice much. Or we can talk like we really believe in the work of the church, but we never really help. We never really contribute. We never serve in any way. After all, I, I can't help with VBS. Looks like somebody else do it. When in the reality, you are needed. We can tell a Christian brother that we're staying true to the Lord, but then go home and watch porn or over the weekend engage in sex outside of marriage. You see, we see, sing songs, where you go, I'll go, where you stay, I'll stay. Where, when you move, I'll move, I will follow you. Or if you like the more traditional hymns, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I surrender all. We can sing all those songs, but then refuse to allow the Holy Spirit to affect our decisions about relationships, about finances, about our health, about what we eat or don't eat, entertainment choices. Missionary Jim Elliott was very pointed when he said, Christians don't tell lies, they sing them. Lying to the Holy Spirit 
is one pivotal way that we know that He is a person and not an impersonal entity or force. But the second thing that we can do that reinforces that the Holy Spirit is a person is that we can grieve Him. We can bring sorrow to Him. You see, grieving or bringing sorrow doesn't happen when we deal with things. Does it? If I don't change the oil on my lawnmower, my lawnmower doesn't say, oh, come on, Mark, you're treating me poorly. You're making me upset. No, it just stops working. I have Siri on my phone. Some of y'all have something else that is uh, comparable for all you Android fans, probably. I was in the office the other day, and I kind of got nasty with Siri. I said, hey, Siri, you're fat. Or you're, you're stupid. You're rude. Let me look that up. I'm leaving you for Alexa. Okay. (laughs) You know, Siri didn't really react that much. But if I say some of those things to you all, you would. You would. And sometimes we say worse. And people are deeply affected and wounded. When our boys were in preschool and early elementary, I was grieving deeply. We had just lost a child, and then shortly thereafter, I lost my dad. And I didn't know that depression had had hit me, but I know and I recall that during that time, I was a little bit short and curt with my sons. And I could always tell because I would say something and and I'd see this hurt look in their eyes. I could always tell that. And on several occasions, Pam uh, had to remind me that, you know, what you're talking about here and what you're getting on them about really isn't that big of a deal. It's a small thing. You need to relax a little. She was very loving, but very persistent about that. I ended up going through some uh, counseling to be able to deal with some of the stuff that I was struggling with. And as I did, things became far more clear to me, and I began to realize what it was that I had done to my sons. And I had to sit down with them on multiple occasions. And I basically, as a part of my healing process, but also, more importantly, as a part of their healing process, I had to sit down with them and say, hey, guys, I am so, so sorry. Will you please forgive me? And by God's grace, they did. Maybe you remember a moment when you hurt somebody or deeply disappointed them. Or maybe you've been hurt by other people. Maybe you remember that look of deep, deep hurt and you can't get it out of your mind. Or maybe 
pain lingers inside of you in a very intense way because of something that was said or done. And that often happens when we forget or when we overlook the importance of relationship and we focus more on the superficial stuff and we focus more on the rules and we focus more on what we can get away with. Someone has said that religion has a lot of times has to do with rules, but Christianity is a relationship with the living God. And with the Lord, we may think that all we're doing is just breaking a rule. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. And we forget that we're deeply affecting someone. We're deeply grieving somebody and disappointing someone who believes in us so much, as Will said, that He sent His Son to die for our sins so that we could be reconnected with Him. It's one thing to break a rule, but folks, it's a totally different thing to break a heart. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And these words end up speaking to how much the Holy Spirit knows, and how much He loves, and how much He values you, and how much He values me. I like this piece of furniture. I found it the other day. It's borrowed, okay? I didn't steal it, it's borrowed. Kind of reminds me of uh, the Pixar animation thing. You know, right at the beginning, the Pixar thing just kind of pops up, and this guy comes over to the eye on Pixar and pounds it down and then starts shining. Kind of nice piece of furniture, isn't it? Kind of cute. But if this is all it does, it's not worth much, is it? The only thing that will work is if it's connected to the power. And I'll try not to point it on anybody (laughs) because it's pretty powerful light. Are we connected? Because the power transforms something so simple into something so useful. And by the same token, I say to you, and I say to me, because folks, you need to understand, I'm preaching to myself as much as I am sharing with you. We can allow God's Spirit to to transform us and begin to make changes in and through us as He works, or we can choose to go through the motions and be nice, but be totally useless to God because we refuse to let His power move in us and through us and energize us. It's a choice that we make. And I would invite you this, this series, as I have been praying for quite some time lately, to make this your prayer, and I think it's going to appear here on the screen. Holy Spirit, I want to know you personally. I want you to lead me. 
Help me to be what you want me to be. Help me to do what only you, what can only be done in your power. With you as my closest friend. Would you make that your prayer? At least every day over the next three weeks. Would you write that down and not forget it? Or take a screenshot of it and not forget it. And every moment that you have with God, you make that your And I also know that I'm talking to some people here who have never been with power in your life at all. You're either groping in darkness or you've been dead on the inside. And I'm here to tell you that God wants to give you life. God wants to energize you. He wants to give you His holy fire as we just heard. That's why Jesus came. He came to die for our sins so that we could have new life, so that we could be energized, so that we wouldn't have to live alone, but could live holy and empowered lives that would make a difference. And maybe you're someone who never has trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And right now, as the Spirit is speaking, not me, but the Spirit, He's calling you. He's inviting you. He's convicting you. He's challenging you. He's comforting you. And He wants to transform you. But it only happens when we choose to accept Jesus. It only happens when we confess Him as Lord. It only happens when we are baptized into Him and say, Holy Spirit, I want to know You. I want to be empowered by You. I need You. Father, we come to You in Jesus' name. And we just ask that You be in this moment, in this time, We all realize that we need you. We need your power. We need your presence. Holy Spirit, we need you. So as decisions are made today, as we sang earlier, I pray that you would fill this place. I pray that you would fill our hearts. but I pray that you would move in us as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen.